episode of Proper English is brought to you by Bits and Bobs and Odds and Ends and the idiom, the best thing since sliced bread. Hello, my name's Dave. And I'm Alison. And we'd like to welcome you to our podcast, which, as you know, is called Proper English. If you're learning English and you want to know the correct way to pronounce S-E-W. If you get stuck deciding if you should use well or good. If you're puzzled by double negatives. Then proper English is just the thing for you. As you probably know, when we have fairly straightforward questions from our students, I address them on our Instagram page, which, if you haven't found it already, you'll find at Proper English, or one word, 2019. But, over the last couple of years, we've had a number of questions from our students that were too complicated to answer on Instagram, but not complicated enough to need a full episode. So today, we've got a compendium of the little things, the little problems English learners come up against and other bits of useful information we've been wanting to share with you. But I think first it might be worth spending a little bit of time talking about the title of today's podcast. Ah, yeah, yeah. We mm. have a lot of ways in English to describe things that can't be identified specifically. We use stuff quite a lot. Oh, I do. I know. <laughs> Uh, what's all this stuff doing on the table, for example? Stuff and nonsense. It's slang, really. Avoid it in written English or in very formal situations, but it is absolutely fine in conversation. Yeah, and in the title we've used bits and bobs. We can also say bits and pieces. It's miscellaneous stuff. For example, we have a drawer, the man drawer, where we put bits and bobs. Paper clips, spare screws, leads, elastic bands and lots of other little things that don't have a designated home. Do you think everyone has a drawer like that? Oh yeah. It drives me crazy as it's always full. So every now and then I'll have a tidy out, throw the odd thing away and try to organise it again. Hmm. Now, the other expression in our title, Dave, odds and ends. You found out something interesting about that on a radio programme, didn't you? I did, Ali, yeah. Our friend Dom told us about a cracking radio programme on BBC Radio 4, which is called Word of Mouth. Mm. And it's presented by the rather wonderful writer and poet Michael Rosen. In a recent episode, he was talking about Anglo-Saxon and how much of an integral part it is of modern English. You see, what odds and ends refers to is spears. Mm. Yeah. The odd refers to the business end, the pointy bit. And the end, unsurprisingly, refers to the other end, the holding end. So odds and ends originally meant the whole thing, whereas these days we use it as Ali has already described. All oh, right, let's crack on. Oh, good phrasal verb there. Mm-hmm. Something so simple, but that I always hear pronounced incorrectly, is the word S-E-W meaning to stitch something with a needle and thread. It looks like it should be pronounced sew. It does, but the simple fact of the matter is we pronounce it so, just like so. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I know where it is, where it comes from. Uh-huh. Yeah, it comes from Anglo-Saxon again. There we uh, go. It's like old German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's a pronunciation that we only have in that word. Yeah, yeah. And... 
I've got a great tip here, Dave. If you want help remembering, think of Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. So, a needle pulling thread. Oh, nice one. Another question about pronunciation that we often get asked is, is it either or is it either? Or neither or neither. What do you normally say, Dave? Do you know what? I think I say them both. Yeah, I think I say both. But I do remember as a child, I was strongly encouraged by my dad's to say either and neither. He felt that they were much nicer. And now moving away from pronunciation, there's good and well. These cause some understandable confusion. Most of you know it's important in UK culture to ask a friend or colleague how they are if you haven't seen them for a day or so. A classic response is fine, thanks. <laughs> That has hidden depths, which we could talk about in another episode, perhaps. Well, yeah. Now, if we're feeling quite positive, we might say, I'm well, thank you. And we've also adopted the American response of, I'm good, thanks. I use that a lot, actually. Mm. So in this instance, well and good are interchangeable. Yeah, but it, it really is only with someone's health where the two work in this way. Yeah. The rule in other situations is that good is an adjective and well is an adverb. So we can describe people, places and things as good. Your dog is so good, meaning well-behaved. Mm. That podcast proper English is good, isn't it? It is. Is that new restaurant any good? Whereas we describe an action using well. Pippa did well in her exams. My dog walks well on the lead. And in an old British TV game show, the host, Bruce Forsyth, would say, Didn't he do well? <laughs> What's next, Dave? Let's talk about have and am. Ah, good idea. Other languages use these differently and it causes some confusion. We use am to describe ourselves. And this includes emotions and some physical states. Like, I am happy. I am irritated. I am nonplussed, for <laughs> example. We also say, I'm hungry, which can seem odd to non-native speakers. Yeah, the French say, j'ai faim. Uh, it translates literally as, I have hunger. And the Portuguese say, "estou com fome, which translates as, I am with hunger, which is practically, I have hunger, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Have is used to describe something we possess. I have a husband, Dave has a wife. But it can describe some physical states too. I have a headache. Yesterday, you had hiccups. <laughs> Another thing that shouldn't be done in English is to use a double negative. Mm. You may hear native English speakers doing it, but in mm. English, British English anyway, it's considered to be incorrect grammar. Um, in this instance, the English language uses the logic of mathematics. So if I say, I haven't got no friends... You are in fact stating that you have friends. Mm -hmm. Because if you've not got no friends, then logically you do have friends. Two negatives make a positive, see? Yep, so plenty of learners can fall into this trap if they think in their first language. So for Spanish, Russian and Hebrew speakers, for example, um, that can be a problem because their languages are able to use, they do use double negatives. Interestingly, double negatives are used a lot in song lyrics mm -hmm. like I can't get no satisfaction. Wow. And we also use them. Uh, in something that is wonderfully British, the understatement. Mm -hmm. You might want to know if I enjoyed the party and I'd say, 
I didn't not enjoy it. <laughs> so, Dave. <laughs> and I'd know that you didn't love it because otherwise you'd have been enthusiastic and positive. Also, what could be more British than a cup of tea? Oh, I wouldn't say no to a cup of tea, Dave. You can never say no to a cup of tea. Almost literally. <laughs> Now then, Simpsons fans, and I'm sure there are people out there who love The Simpsons, you know that bit in the opening titles where Bart has to write lines on the board? Well, of course, there is a specific double negative example. Just search for double negatives on the internet and you should find it in images. Finally then, in our attempt to tidy up the bits and bobs we've had lying around, another wonderfully British thing. Ish. Oh, yes. My understanding is that other native English speakers use it too, but it's the vagueness of it that makes it seem so British to me. Oh, yeah, we use it to modify adjectives. If somebody asks me if I'm hungry and I'm only a little bit hungry, I can reply that I'm hungry-ish, or even just with ish. Mm. Are you ready for idiom of the week? Ish. Ah, so I know Dave's just about ready for idiom of the week. But before we go there, one more use of ish is to do with time. Ah, yeah. On the whole, British people like to be on time, but we also allow ourselves a little wriggle room with our commitments. Good. So if we're arranging to meet a friend for lunch, we could say, I'll see you at the restaurant at one-ish. Ish. Therefore, if we're a few minutes late, we presume the other person won't be annoyed with us because we said ish. I said one-ish. <laughs> and now it's time for Idiom of the Week. It's the best thing since sliced bread. We use this idiom to recommend or praise something, whether it's a new invention or a product we think the other person hasn't tried. The first successful bread slicing machine was used in 1928 and it was invented by a man from Iowa in the United States of America, a guy called Otto Frederick Rowedder. Ah, and yeah, I guess, particularly for people with large families, not having to cut the bread by hand every day made sliced bread a pretty cool invention. Well, it was the best thing since sliced... Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are at the end of another episode of Proper English. We hope you think it's been the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, and with any luck, you've had fun listening in on our conversation. Please tell everyone you know about us. Your friends, your family, anyone who's learning English. And don't forget to like this episode and leave us a nice review and subscribe to us. On Podbean. Or Apple Podcasts. Or your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Or you can email us at properenglish. Or one word. At sapo.pt if you have any suggestions for future podcasts. And of course... You can join us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, where we regularly answer any questions you might have about English grammar. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me too. And thank you for listening to Proper English. English.